listening to Nerds on Film with Brian Moriarty, Sarah Ashley, Sean Moriarty, and Roxy Noberry. Uh, guys, I want to pose a question to the group. Pose the shit out of it. If you could recast this movie, who would you cast? And the movie I'm asking for is Borderline Sacrosanct. Uh-oh. Borderline what a what? Sacrosanct. Untouchable. Okay. Okay. The Untouchables, obviously. Ah, well, I want to touch it. I want to touch it now. Thanks for using the big words there. You tell me I can't touch something, I want to touch it. Three amigos. Ah. Can I post something else? Uh, okay. If anybody out there thinks that recasting um, the Three Amigos, anybody that does that should die in a fire, <laughs> please send me an email because I think that's what should happen. Yeah, well. Okay. That was my immediate <laughs> reaction, too. However, you did say Sacra something Latin. Yeah, before, right? So. <laughs> <laughs> that was some sort of like. <laughs> so I'll prayer. give you a pass. So. All right. Well, why do you want to do this, Brian? Why do you want to go there? Because it was an interesting discussion. Mm-hmm. Nap and I, by the way, uh, the whole world, Nap, Nap, the whole world. Hi, Welcome Nap. back. I've met the whole world. Thank you. Thanks, Bill Murray and uh, fucking Scrooged. So <laughs> we were driving across country, and he decided to lay this question on me. And my immediate reaction is, how dare you, sir? How dare you? <laughs> wait, oh, wait, wait, wait. Oh, my God. Let's just crucify Nap. Yeah. However... As he kept no, talking it's about, not, it's not, he, he uh, just like was just like, "Fuck enough. that!" I'm gonna continue the conversation. Mm-hmm. And as he was trying to recast it, I was like, "No, no, no, no!" And then I, he did this conversation come out of you guys just getting I so bored out of your minds because you were done jacking each other off for like the first six hours? Of it the was trip. a three thousand mile trip. Whoa, whoa, whoa! Yeah, that's this a lot of jacking off. Six hours into this road trip, we're talking about like thirty hours into this jack off road trip. Wow, that's that's a new record, eh? Yeah, <laughs> that might be an exaggeration. Do you guys go overhand <laughs> or underhand? Both, Ooh. both. I do require two hands. That is desperate. Oh, yeah, like I always say, you got to give it an Indian burn sometimes. Sorry mm-hmm. if I offended anybody. The I Native mean, American burn. Did you guys burn. the desert or what? Was it, it Native hot? American was it dry? Burn. Uh, it was a variety of. Uh, so, in the more humid temperature climates, you decided to have this conversation, or are we talking With lots of baby powder, yes. Lots of baby powder involved. Okay. Well, and in that sense, it sounds like you guys had a pretty desperate talk, and I, I, can, I can dig it. You guys, make your three picks for the three amigos proper, and then you can go to other characters. So, okay. Sean, go. All right. I'm not ready yet, I just realized, so somebody else can Nap, go. Um, for Martin Short. Ned Needlelander. Ned Needlelander. It is Ned Needlelander. Ned, he's, he's kind of a bitch in the movie, right? Yep. So, who who play, who can be a good... Okay, you guys mentioned uh, the cast from Superbad, right? So we're mm-hmm. talking about like younger comedians. Because mm-hmm. that's who I think of when I think of that. I think of like, yeah. I think of, like Michael Sarah. Or like uh, Christopher Mince Plass, the guy, Mc, Mc, what's McLovin. McLovin. McLovin, yeah. We don't use hyphens here, so he's just Christopher Mince and his other parent can You're suck You're fucking dick. lazy. You're, that's what you are. You're a fucking <laughs> lazy piece of shit, Sean. Anyway. No, I just think hyphenated names are bullshit. Stupid. <laughs> they really are. All right. Tell that to Haley Joel Osment. <laughs> you mean Haley, Haley Joel? Joel? Osment. That's Joel is his middle name. Or no, Jada Pinkett Smith. Or, or think, Joseph Gordon-Levitt. bullshit. Ooh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt would be a good, uh, who would he play? Who would he be? Levitt? I just like. Levitt? You, Levitt? You, it's Levitt. I just like, like how you Levine? put the accent on Levine? the wrong syllable. Whatever. Um, <laughs> I, mm, okay, so that would be for Martin Short. I, I, I want to say Michael Sarah because he's, he's kind of tiny and pathetic, so that'd be kind of cute. Hmm. But for Steve Martin? 
Who do we know? Uh, Channing Tatum? No, that's that's an old joke. Uh, <laughs> my name's Jeff. <laughs> my name's Jeff. <laughs> my name's Jeff. Yes. Uh, my name's Lucky Day. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Who would be a good Steve? Who's a good modern Steve Carell? Uh, Christopher Pratt. Uh, ooh. Would be a good fucking Steve Martin. That is interesting because I think he would make a good Dusty Bottoms. Actually, I, we we had that conversation, and I actually said I thought he would make a good uh, Lucky Day. That's interesting. Yeah, Lucky Day. Yeah, of... because Dusty Bottoms has to be sort of like a vacuous, like I... completely brainless. Like if you're gonna put Channing Tatum anywhere, <laughs> exactly. you put him in that role. Yes, uh, thank you. That's exactly what I said. Yeah. Well, there you go. Uh, okay, so now what I'm going to do is I'm going to do what Sarah would have said for recasting the three amigos. Yeah. All right, so this is me. Um, Shut the fuck up. <laughs> um, I would say that Rosario Dawson and should Amy play. Schumer. Um, and then Charlie Theron. Oh, God. And then, um, you know who else we should put in there is we should put um, a digitally enhanced version um, of Eleanor Roosevelt. Or a hologram. As Dusty <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Sarah. So it's the three amigas now? Yeah, okay. exactly. Amigas. The three amigas, okay? Amiga. Because why does okay. it have to be the three amigos, okay? It's 2015. You know I... what, Sean? As the lone vagina in the room, I have... <laughs> the lone, the lone vagina. vagina? The new oh Sergio Leone movie. I'm going to that for the rest of your life. <laughs> You're welcome, America. Roxy, uh, <laughs> the lone vagina. I don't know, man. I'm I'm out. You guys have to help me with this, because I am I I really am out. Of, I'm not as good as Sarah is. All right, all right. I'll give it a shot here. Yes, okay, right. so Dusty Bottoms vacuous kind of just like a like somebody who can play Handsome, someone who like stupid. seems stupid but you have to be smart enough to play the character cleverly enough that exactly. you're actually not stupid as an actor exactly i would say chris hemsworth because he plays like an idiot oh. like if you look at the the trailer for the new vacation and some of the other movies where he's just played a background character he plays yeah. like this dumb pretty boy pretty well and and does it in a clever way, in which yeah. you can tell he's not actually dumb. Cabin in the Woods is a perfect example. Yeah. Of yep. That. Exactly. Okay. Um, That's a good and one. And then for Lucky Day, I got to go with Chris Pratt. <laughs> Chris All Pratt right. because I think he has the right delivery, and he can do his best to embody Steve Martin, which is impossible. But since Brian's decided to bring this uh, unholy fucking film recasting upon us. Yeah, what a horrible human being. <laughs> All right, and then uh, Martin Short, who should play Ned, Ned. Needlander? That is really ideally someone who can hard. sing, right? Because that character does have a couple of mm. musical solos in it too. Mm. I got it. Mm. You got it. You put Aziz Ansari in there, oh! and then just have everybody just make fun of how brown he is for the time. <laughs> okay, that's perfect. So here's mine for Lucky Day. Jason Sudeikis. Ooh. Not bad. Okay. That's a really good idea, dude. Yeah. Sean, you kind of remind me of Chris Jason Pratt Sudeikis. or Channing Tatum for uh, Dusty Bottoms. I think, personally, Chris Pratt is uh, handsome, but also can play the stupidity, as well as understand the level of humor, like we were all saying. I, like I think it. Dusty and Lucky are similar in that respect. Mm -hmm. Uh He's a bit too tall compared to the two guys, but I would also say Neil Pat Patrick Harris for Ned Needlander. Oh. I like that. Though I, I, like I, I, I haven't, I've struggled to find the person who's like, yes, I need to. That person needs to be Ned Needlander. Mm. So you Neil know, Patrick Harris is kind of like my my go to, but I'm open to an, ideas. <laughs> well, Brian? Nap, uh, Channing Tatum as Dusty Bottoms, and uh, either Chris Pratt or, and it's going to sound a little weird, but or Ed Helm as uh, Lucky Day. Mm. See, I'd see it as more of a dead Needlelander if you're going to throw it in there. Yeah. What's your okay? Justify it. 
of the three of them, mm-hmm. he has the best idea of what's going on. He's the most assertive. Mm. Um, and for Ned Needlelander, and you guys are going to think I'm crazy, he might be a little bit old, but James Franco. He does that very good, like, kind of innocent, like, kind of dopey, not necessarily stupid kind no, of thing. Just, just the, the whole naive and thing. And he's, yeah. he's really fun to just kind of push around and kind of kind of I, tug on his dick a little bit. I'm about to blow your minds with my El Guapo oh, casting. God. Oh, my God. Oh, no. You ready? Uh-huh. Yeah. Christoph Waltz. Ooh. <laughs> really? And fucking make him a German Mexican. Who cares? We're already, we're already fucking ruining cinema by oh, recasting this. That works, but only if Hefe is Danny Trejo. Oh. Yes. Wait, so you wait, no, Nap, who is your Hefe in El Wapo? I don't remember. My oh, no. El Wapo was a total joke. But no, you, you said it was going to be Danny Trejo and then D- Luis Guzman. Oh, yeah, Luis Guzman. Oh, my God. Picture Luis uh, Guzman. Could it be that you're turning 40 today? Like with Luis Guzman's, you know, kind of <laughs> comedically chubby ass there. Oh <laughs> like, Trey, what God. is happening today? Are these gringos falling out of the sky? <laughs> yes, uh, I just want to see Luis Guzman try to give uh, one of the three amigos the bat wing. <laughs> Could you argo, uh, argo. Could you argue um, John Leguizamo or Hank Azaria? Um. Or every other Mexican American actor. Hank Azaria, I don't know. Hank Azaria just doesn't look threatening. No. Uh, John Leguizamo, as scrawny as he tends to be, looks like he might slit your ball sack open. Yeah, Yeah, (laughs) pretty much. (laughs) Have you seen? Not not along the seam either, lengthwise across. Lengthwise. We're not going to get into the story about what happened to my brother when he met John Leguizamo, but long story short, he got his ball sack slit open. Dude. I just watched Ghetto Clown, so I could believe that. His you mean Spawn? No. <laughs> no, it was a um, one-man show that he did on, like, 2014 or something on HBO. Check that shit out. So why the hell are we talking about the Three Amigos? Because it's Western-themed. <laughs> I have to. I can't fucking not And on that note, ladies and gentlemen... Welcome to Nerds on Film. I'm Brian Moriarty. Or Clint Eastwood, apparently. And I'm Roxy Noberry. And I am Tuco. Gandhi! <laughs> you're nothing but a son of a... Ah! <laughs> I'm Sean Moriarty. And joining us in the Nerd Cave... <laughs> I'm Nap. What? And my Nap, bitches. Brian Nap. Napplesauce. Friend. Yeah. Longtime friend. And apparatus. He's a returning guest. You yes. were on for yeah. Mel Brooksuary. Uh, yes. I was. I was also here for your Oscars show. <gasps> Yay. Thanks for remembering. I am so happy to be here for yet another napping. <laughs> okay, boys. Okay, boys. So, God, the three of you guys are right. in a Mexican standoff. Who gets shot first? First of all, that's racist. Moriarty. Second of all, me. Because I'm an Moriarty. asshole. Moriarty. <laughs> okay, okay. So, you're angelized then, huh? Mm-hmm. Are, you, are you an angel? I are, get you, shot, are you the bad? And then I get shot yeah. into a grave. And then my hat gets shot into a grave. Wait, then so then are you John saying that either Brian or Nap? I make Brian dig. Exactly. That's right? what happens. <laughs> yeah. I love the progression of that moment when he just shoots him and then he shoots his, like, what is he shoots his hat and then he shoots his gun. That's so great. So then I'm are you s- saying that Brian is, or Brian or Nap are either ugly or good? No, I'm just saying that Brian Nap, being a military man, is probably a way better shot than me and Brian. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, I'm going to say I'm second best because I own firearms and shoot them quite frequently, and Brian Brian can barely shoot a fucking duck on Nintendo. So, <laughs> Yeah, well, you got the whole Colorado I mean, mystique fair. going Sean on. is a... Uh, 
a gun slinging Democrat. Sociopath. And Nap has military training, and I. Yeah, need- I yeah. believe that I should have guns, but that most other people shouldn't. Whatever. <laughs> I believe that only Sean should have guns. Yeah. <laughs> only Sean. If you were president, oh, wow. is that what you're? Nap twenty twenty. We're gonna nuke the fucking moon. <laughs> and we like the moon. <laughs> yeah. We're gonna oh, nuke Lord. the fucking moon just to send a message to everybody else. Like we just nuked the moon, and we like the moon. We don't even know you assholes. <laughs> Don't fuck with America. What's that? Sarah, come back. I miss you. (laughs) If you haven't noticed, she's gone. They killed her. I could push my moves. Sarah had some some friend duties to attend to. She had some duty. She had some duties to attend to uh, for a friend's wedding, so she is not here. Don't don't give the secret away. You're giving away the secret. Wow, a lot of Sarah's friends have been getting married. I wonder what this is doing to her self esteem. She's. You know, we will Fuck. not speak ill of Sarah. We We're not. not. I'm just asking a question. Sarah I'm, just, Sarah I'm, just, I'm just asking questions. You know what? She's not going to play the victim on this. I know that for a fact. And she's going to hold her head high. And she's going to rock those stilettos. And she's just going to fucking be the best bridesmaid slash maid of honor slash supportive friend that she will be. Slash God. person drinking and crying in the corner. <laughs> slash most drunk person at the okay. wedding. <laughs> okay, so let's do this. They roasted me pretty good when I uh, missed an episode. We did. A lot of that shit got cut out, by the way. Oh, I don't even want to know. I don't even want to (laughs) know. I'm kidding. Um. (laughs) It's no surprise. Nothing personal. So what we're going to focus on tonight, Spaghetti Westerns, specifically the Dollars Trilogy. Yes. And you know who fucking loves Spaghetti Westerns? Mm -hmm. Our boy Sean. Oh, yeah. I do. Take it. I totally forgot this when we were fucking talking about. You no, you didn't. Son of a shit. No, I didn't. You I'm didn't sorry. spend an entire month like jacking like, off to documentaries about Sergio Leone. And, and that was only the last two days or so. Whatever, you, you little. You set us up. You did, you jerk. <laughs> Sergio Leone is definitely the most well known of the Spaghetti Westerns directors because he, you know, he went on to do even more and actually became an American Western director to a degree. Um, and so, but he wasn't the first. There were about. A couple dozen, almost 25 spaghetti westerns that had already been made, but they got no attention at all, and they were really low-budget, like, really horseshit, like, copies of western movies, and the American western was sort of dying. Uh Uh-oh. And given that he knew that there was still a market in Europe for these western movies, and he wanted to bring something different to it. And before these movies, he had only done a a few, um, like, sword and sandal-style, like, Roman films. And which is interesting because he brought a lot of that kind of character, like the Roman, the Roman uh, panache and the Roman uh, cynicism, to a lot of his films. Like if you, it, they are very unique. And now we don't really think of them that way. We just think of them as these awesome films because we're younger and we weren't around when they came out. Mm-hmm. But they were super different to the point that like critics absolutely hated these movies in America. Roger Ebert. Destroyed the first two and then gave a fairly favorable review. Uh, fairly favorable. Ha! Yeah, he I'm Eric l- Brickmonting this. <laughs> he loved, loved yeah. Good, Bad, and the Ugly. I no, love his review. You know, he only gave it like a three star review when it first came out. Then he amended it mm-hmm. like he has so many other things after he realizes that he was a fucking idiot. True yeah. that. Back in the day. And, and the three we're talking about, of course, is the Dollars trilogy, yeah. right? Uh, Fistful of Dollars for a few dollars yeah. more. And Fistful of Dollars was Leone's first uh, Western film. 
And um, the, mainly the reason the critics hated him so much is because of the dubbing. Because Ugh. Sergio Leone, the, the, first of all, every actor Ugh. in the movie spoke their native language, which was odd. So <laughs> that's why when you watch it in English, even though it's dubbed and it's dubbed fairly poorly, that you can see that it, the, the English lines up with the English actors. But then you can tell that the English dub over the Italian or the Spanish actors is totally different. Because this was a an Italian, a Spanish and a German production. Like wow. there was money from all three. Um, all of the outdoor stuff was filmed in Spain. All, all the indoor stuff was filmed in studios in Italy. And um, what's really interesting about these movies, and because Clint Eastwood is so iconic in these films, like he's amazing in all three of them. I think he is because of how little he actually talks and how how all of his his awesome acting prowess is in his facial expressions and how well he listens to the yeah. other actors. But he was nowhere near Sergio Leone's first choice. In fact, Sergio Leone's talked some pretty mad shit about, oh about, about Clint Eastwood post uh, Once Upon a Time in the West. Didn't they hate was, each other toward the end of Good, Bad, and the Ugly as it was, well? It was after Good, the Bad, and the Ugly. A lot of people hated Sergio Leone because uh. he was super fucking meticulous about the way that yeah. he filmed everything. And he was and, a glutton, notorious. Yeah, notorious <laughs> glutton, and he, but he was a genius filmmaker. Surely, but um, he was a dickhead. <laughs> yeah, but before Clint Eastwood got picked for the role, he really wanted to get Henry Fonda because he was such a... He wanted to take Henry Fonda and turn him into an anti-hero or kind of a bad guy mm -hmm. because he loved seeing Henry Fonda in like classic American westerns. He couldn't get Henry Fonda because they couldn't fucking afford him. Then they wanted Charles Bronson. And they couldn't afford him because Charles Bronson wanted twenty five grand for a fistful of dollars, and Clint Eastwood was willing to take fifteen. So they went with Clint Eastwood. And the funny thing is, is though, is that right after like Good, the Bad, and the Ugly, when you start to hear that Sergio Leone and Clint Eastwood kind of hate each other, is when Sergio Leone does Once Upon a Time in the West, which is probably his best spaghetti western, which we won't talk too much about tonight, but. The stars of that movie are Henry Fonda and Charles Bronson. He's like, I got what I wanted. <laughs> finally. finally. So let's start off it. and talk about A Fistful of Dollars uh, now that I've given everybody kind of a gist of what's going on here. Let's talk about A Fistful of Dollars by itself here. Let's do it. It was filmed in 1964. Yeah. Mm -hmm. so it didn't get released till 1967 in America, though, which yeah. is interesting. All, All three, three of, these of those movies got released year. in 1967. January, yeah. May, and December, respectively. Yeah. Isn't that mm -hmm. insane? But yeah, so the year is 1964, right? Yep. And, oh, by the way, happy birthday, Clint Eastwood. Today is his 85th birthday. It's kind of yes. funny that we're talking about him. Wow. I know, right? I heard that at yeah. his birthday party, um, he imagined that the <laughs> his cake was Barack Obama and was talking to it, and the cake wasn't saying anything back. <laughs> Rude. Wow. Red. <laughs> Seriously, though. Um, okay, yeah. I mean, should we talk about what everyone's kind of perceptions were of the film? Or should we mm -hmm. talk about the film in a kind I of I gotta retelling? say, I was honestly... Of those three movies, I was the most bored watching the first movie. I have to agree with that. Yeah. It's the least of the trilogy for sure because Sergio Let Leone is still so... Uh, he's not polished yet. I, I, agree, I agree with you, Sean. He's but definitely polished by Good Ben. Brian, lately. what's your kind of feeling for why it was not appealing to you, though? Um, for me, pacing... Mm. Uh, uh, I mean, yes, there's production poor production value, but I understood it was made on a low, super low budget. Right? So, even for the 60s. So... Yeah. Um, for me, it was pacing. Mm -hmm, uh, it's mm -hmm. definitely an, edited to an older ses sensibility mm. for editing, and I find myself just having a hard time adjusting to that 
fully acknowledging my 21st century film it's bias. It's very dated. Yeah. I agree with you on that. Um, but it yet, is. But yet, the pacing of Good and Bad and the Ugly, though, <laughs> was so much better. Was way, way better. Yeah, so, and the fucked up thing, though, is if you think about it, Good and the Bad and the Ugly is a three hour movie, and Fistful oh. of Dollars is an hour and 39 minutes. Yet, oh. the, it seems longer. I know, right? Home, it in some ways did feel like a three-hour-long movie because of all the anti-war propaganda that was mm. thrown in there. It was just like, it was a great two-hour movie that had just an hour of additional just like, man, war really sucks, thrown in. You're talking it. about Good, Bad, and Ugly? Yeah. yeah. What about um, Fistful of Dollars? Did you feel the same way that Brian felt about how it was paced? Um, the pacing wasn't great in Fistful of Dollars. Uh, I, I definitely agree. I don't think it was really that much. Yeah, of the three, I honestly think the second one has the best pacing. Yeah, yep. I agree. Um, just because it doesn't have all the anti-war crap that really bogs it down. Mm. But you know, everybody involved in the production is got a better idea of what they're doing and they kind of speed it along and it's a lot more succinct and a lot more interesting i i would never say that fistful of dollars is the uh most boring but i would argue that it is the least interesting just because i don't want to make it seem like it doesn't hold my interest mm -hmm. but of the three i really feel like yeah. it does drag on the most i mean i think the plot isn't as interesting right the plot yeah, yeah it's this town that's being terrorized by these gangs and yes you have this man with no name who is this, you know, basically he, he is a knight in a way, or, you know, the samurai, if you want to go Kurosawa with it, yeah. who comes in. Well, they actually did go Kurosawa yeah, with no, he it, totally enough did. for him to sue them. Yeah, like literally, yeah. this was a Kurosawa movie. Uh, He's like, hold up, Yojimbo, what's up? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, there's definitely this... parts of Yojimbo that they, they copy, but they also, there's they got a lot of inspiration from some other stories too. Yeah. This was back in a day where they decided just not to fight it because it's not a carbon copy of Yojimbo. No. Right. By any means. So nevertheless, you have this this uh, protagonist, protagonist, yeah. this warrior who uh, comes into town. He's just passing through. Wrong and place he, at the wrong time. Exactly. And he ends up just getting stuck in this struggle, but he ends up saving this town from these these mm. warring factions. So well, you have you have yeah, the Rojos. I don't know. It kind of like you could say that he sort of saves this town if you think that he leaves. I mean, a lot of the town was either the Baxters or. The or or the Rojos. So it's like, he also killed most of the town through his actions. He honestly, he's just there to manipulate both sides for money. He's a complete anti-hero. He doesn't really save anybody except for the, except for the, he gets the family back together with the boy and the wife that was kidnapped and the husband. Fair point. Yeah. So what's the quote he says? He says, he says, Don Miguel Rojo, I want to talk to you. I got to tell you before hiring, I don't work for cheap. So it's like he gets into the town, and first things first, he gets into a confrontation, right? With just right. like regular folk. You're gonna need three coffins. Yeah, no, actually, scratch <laughs> oh that. You're gonna need four. Yeah, yeah <laughs> my, that was, sorry, my four favorite coffins. line yeah. in the whole series, right there. He comes Isn't back, my mistake. Four coffins. Isn't that so fucking it's cool? It's so badass. It's so yeah. simple, and it's so elegant. And it's just like I. I love this. If movie. there's one compliment to Clint Eastwood's performances throughout the entire through line of all of these movies is his delivery of yeah. his lines. The man knows how to act. I mean, with when it comes to just giving that 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 this beautiful like clinching moment of like the way he walks off at the end and the way he always introduces himself without saying one thing and when he does say something, oh, he means it. Oh <laughs> my god, that one scene where he's like uh He's where he's talking about them laughing. He's like, when you start laughing, the mule, my mule thinks you're laughing at him. <laughs> now, 
when you apologize, Yay. like I know you're going to, like <laughs> just so, like uh, that was Clint Eastwood. Mm-hmm. That's how I see Clint Eastwood today. Yeah, totally. Like even when I see him just talking normally, I'm like, he's about to shoot someone. <laughs> feel it. He's yeah, gonna exactly. kill the whole what fucking do, planet. What I do appreciate about the film, though, is that it has, it's, Acknowledges existing Western tropes. Oh yeah, it's a parody, isn't parody. it? Anyway, it is also, a. Pa- it's like a dark parody. Yeah. It is, and it's got all of the like the the famous like the whole. The Undertaker can measure you just by like Lo- you know, looking at looking you. at you. Mm-hmm. I kept thinking immediately to the Back to the Future Part Three when Marty McFly goes. Oh, they took so the much of Back to the Future oh, Part yeah. Three totally. from this trilogy. Oh absolutely. my God, absolutely well, right. They, they didn't hide it at all either. <laughs> I mean. You know, it's so, flagrant. I wanted to ask you guys about, you know, not not going too far off. Maybe we can talk about this a little later. But the concept of it being a parody, I immediately think of, like, Mel Brooks parodies. You know, I don't mm. think of... I, when you hear the word parody, you think comedy automatically. And sure, there were some comedic elements to a lot of these films. Mostly in Good and Bad and the Ugly with... Uh, right. With, uh, what's his face? Um... I almost said Tupac. Tupac. Tupac and Biggie. You know? <laughs> but, um, I mean, yeah, because you have to bring some levity to it. Yeah. These are, are ultimately pretty dark films. That, yes. That, and yeah. in that sense, I want to say my biggest kind of like indicator of this was definitely parody without intentionally making it parody, which is the dubbing quality. God, they were so bad. Right. I know, but that's honestly, that is only just because uh, the way Sergio Leone filmed these movies, he liked to do a lot of crazy close-ups. He liked to do a lot of big wide shots. Yeah. They actually used, um, it was a cheaper, the, if, you've, if you've seen this movie on a disc before, you've noticed that the letterboxing of it is way smaller. It's very way long smaller. and thin mm. when you watch it. And that's because they used, instead of uh, what was what was normal and what was more expensive was to do a four perforation um, filming where you put four of these frames together, but this one they only did a double. So, and with the way they were trying to save money, and with the way that they had a production where, um, the, like all these people didn't even speak their own language, it like no. spoke their own languages but didn't speak other languages. They had to film it, and that like they filmed. He essentially makes silent movies and then puts all the sound effects and music and dialogue into it later. Yeah, and that's very common in Italy at the time. So it was, it was, but it was not well received here at all. I also heard that the sound stages they filmed at in Italy were very um, poor. Like the quality mm-hmm. was very poor. So the sound well, the, quality overall was horrible. Yeah, and yeah. um, and Maricone, uh and Neil Marconi. Yeah, and Neil Marconi. He did all the scores before the films were even made. So Which if anything, is absolutely brilliant. That's why. That's why I think the first, like a lot of these films, are very long and drawn out. And I really feel like Leone was doing that as a favor to Marconi, so that he wouldn't kind of defer his. No, process no, no, no. no. Really, opposite, opposite. You don't think Le- so? No, I know that you, what you're saying is wrong because well, he actually asked Neil Morricone to do the scores beforehand mm-hmm. because he liked to play the scores on the set. He would play the scores blasting on the set, which is another reason why he had to do dub overs and didn't record sound on set. Okay. Because he, uh, this is especially a big deal in Once Upon a Time in the West. There's this awesome shot that he goes up and it's perfect with the music. And they did that because the cinematographer was listening to the music on the set being blared out on a PA nice. while he did it. So he wanted the music because uh, Sergio Leone is a very deliberate director. He already and has wanted, a vision. Yeah, he had a, he had a vision to the point that when he was describing somebody, his movie, they would sit down at dinner for five hours and he would describe everything, play all the characters, hum some of the music, wow. do all that stuff. So I guess what I'm referring to is then that the two of them um, had a really good partnership. 
and if the anything, best partnership. yes. So they worked very well together, and they compromised with each other's visions. And if anything, all three of these movies are like their baby. Like they parented it together yeah. almost. And I believe, yep. Sean, you'll be able to speak to this better than I would. But I believe that Eastwood had a much better relationship with Morricone than with Leone. I'm sure anybody had a better Everybody relationship. Everybody had a better relationship. Yeah, I was like, Sergio <laughs> Leone burned a lot of bridges. Yeah. And I think that over the years, his his perceived genius, I mean, at least that's how I see it, mm-hmm. is kind of overshadowed how difficult he was of a person to... I mean, yeah. he's notorious <laughs> for embellishing to a ridiculous degree on stories. Like, mm. he... Uh, on stories he's told about filming and stuff. He had a friend of his... That worked with them on many of the uh, on the Dollars Trilogy movies and Once Upon a Time in the West, who actually was directing his own spaghetti western film, and then they needed a second unit, and so they had Leone work the second unit as the director, and he the, uh, and his friend was like, "I'd be honored if you'd do the second. and then from that point forward, Leone would tell people that he directed that movie, Fuck even though clearly that. he didn't. And wow. He burned a lot of bridges because he was a very complex man. Wow. But I think his art speaks volumes and, you know, yeah. people people that are that much of a genius <clears throat> are bound to have some character flaws. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, if you're if you're that good at what you do, it's I mean, you're going to usually a prick. become let's some just, sort of a mega man. It's kind of a beautiful mind sort of scenario. Yeah. You have some personality um, quirks. Yeah, for sure. And psychotic pop. So do we have anything else we want to say about the first movie before we get into the second? Film. Well, I so many appreci- things that we don't have time probably, I'm yeah. sure. Well, Brian, yeah, what do you what are you thinking, well, Brian? I, personally, I think it, uh, Fistful of Dollars was the first one that I saw, and it may be uh, something that I consider Guy Ritchie syndrome, where like I've noticed that most people, like whichever Guy Ritchie movie they saw first is their favorite. <laughs> and it, it goes that way with a handful of filmmakers, but the first one I noticed that with was Guy Ritchie. Yeah. And I, I feel like I may have that syndrome uh, with the Dollars trilogy, where the first one I saw was Fistful of Dollars, and it's just, it, it, it really stuck with me man it's really unfortunate that the first guy Ritchie movie you saw was swept away (laughs) (laughs) what can i say (laughs) so in that regard what what do you really kind of uh what what speaks to you the most about the first film um i don't know maybe it's just nostalgia with me maybe it's just nostalgia with me but honestly after watching the after watching fistful of dollars the that that movie is what i kind of expected from the other two Mm. and uh i mean yes there were lots of improvements among the other two movies uh i mean bare minimum it was much better uh uh quality in filming and better pacing and whatnot that we've already spoken about but it's just i don't know some some little piece of me is just like this this little kind of crap cheap movie <laughs> has a very special place in my heart and yeah. i think that and I, i'm one of those people that can watch just like a garbage movie and still enjoy themselves nice. yeah and yeah, i feel you on that and nice. so i mean i don't know i i personally I just really love the i shit agree out of the with you i one. feel the same way as i felt about um the mad max trilogy so the first mm. mad max film with george miller i mean there's something sentimental about how beautiful that was. It was an original script, you know, first time, crap budget, you know, but they made some magic and they started an empire. Yeah. Same thing with Fistful of Dollars mm-hmm. for Sergio Leone. I mean, yeah. it wasn't his first film, but it was the one that put him on the map and put sure. Spaghetti Westerns on the map, for Christ's right. sake. Like, let's give it credit words due, right? right? So I can definitely, you know, and I mean, Clint Eastwood, what an intro. Right, and so. clearly his influence has inspired tons of directors Quentin Tarantino, 
Robert Rodriguez, to say the least. Seriously. You know, uh, in the independent film yeah, movement. Yeah, Shanzi. Uh, the thing I take most from Fistful of Dollars is that even it was the first Spaghetti Western to be put on the map, the first one to make money and be released in America. And we we are so kind of ruined for seeing this film now compared to the movies we've seen today. The thing that this movie really gets across and what makes it brilliant, even though it's the least of the trilogy, is that there had been no Westerns at all that had had this much of a cynical, violent view of the West. Which, honestly, that's probably closer to the way the West actually was than a right. lot of the movies that preceded it. Wow. Because there were people out there that were out for blood, money, stuff like that. You had that, you had that represented in villains in some of these movies but never in the quote-unquote heroes. Nobody right. was as good as Clint Eastwood's character from Rawhide, which was like the only thing you'd seen him in as a Western beforehand. Nobody was as good as John Wayne was in, in John Ford movies. Mm-hmm. Right. So this movie mm-hmm. is the first one, and that's what was really tough pill for people to swallow in the States is because they were used to seeing like, okay, we're seeing a clear good, a clear bad. There's no really good or bad guy. There's all just a bunch yeah. of human beings that are flawed, and you you feel more for the protagonist because of the way it's written. Right. But yeah. in no way is there a clear good and evil. You're absolutely no, yeah. right. Everybody is shades of gray. Yeah. yeah. Throughout and the you're whole trilogy, right. everybody's shades of gray. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, what you're talking about is that the original westerns of the 40s and 30s and 50s. up until up until the you know, late 50s, yeah, were Shane. these very exactly were these very Fucking melodramatic. Shane. Defined hero, <laughs> divine Red villain. River, Mon- Monty Cliff, right? Hell. And they're also very romanticized too. Oh yeah. I mean, Talk there's, there's a shot from. I can't remember the film. But there's a shot. It was straight up homo. <laughs> there's a shot where John Wayne is riding, uh, Monty into, Clift? A, into no. a town. Okay. Uh, it's a black and white. One of his black and white westerns. The Searchers. The Searchers. Yeah. No, and he looks like he's pretty much the White Knight because he, literally the way they shot it, he was wearing a light leather outfit, mm-hmm. but because it was black and white, it looks like he's fucking glowing. Wow. Yep. Yeah, and this is young John Wayne. This is like. This is like maybe in his. You early know what 30s. else I appreciate about, the, about these the spaghetti westerns is that they didn't have this huge emphasis on criminalizing or mistreating Native Americans. Yeah, that nope. a lot of the older westerns were about cowboys versus Indians, yeah, right? Spaghetti a- westerns were more about you know the Lone Ranger interacting with the townspeople who have their own issues, the like Fifty Shades of character. As an traits, archetype, right? not the actual character, yes. the Lone Ranger. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And the Lone Ranger in this sense is humanized. Right. And anti- he becomes the anti-hero instead of just the straight-up hero. Right. And speaking of violence and darkness, why don't we move on to the second film? Because that one takes is even more oh, fucked up than the first yeah. But Brian, did you have a little like oh, introduction well, to well, what you, I just wanted to you say? You were talking about... Uh, 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 Native Americans. Native Americans. Is that the, I was gonna was say, the trigger I mean, word? The Mexicans kind of get shit on in the in the Dollars yeah. trilogy, but I feel like that's uh, like but Tuco's I, I was character. Thinking I think about it. makes up for that. Well, I, I, was, I was thinking about it as yeah, you kept talking. By, I realized that the Mexicans kind of get a, shit on, but that's not like the point. It's kind yeah. of like a. It's kind of like a those a, characters a, a get side shit effect on. Yeah, but would you agree that the acculturation, acculturation yeah. of Native Americans in cinema? I mean, there's this really great documentary called Real Indians, and uh, the, it's R E E L, and it's a recent documentary where they t- they kind of went through the history of Native Americans as they are portrayed in um, cinema, and the original American Western really did a dis. It started out like not being important at all and then it took this huge shift at the turn of the century in like the 20s and the 30s right and then that's when like westerns were huge because of the studio system no yeah um and then you go into the 40s and the 50s and it doesn't get any better <laughs> so i thought that with the rise of the 60s and spaghetti westerns it's like they kind of turned it uh, they turned it a little bit away from you know this hyper focus on bastardizing this this culture 
and um, made it a little bit more just about the actual cowboys themselves and their sure, own yeah. kind of yeah. You know, but they didn't do it further with it. I mean, they to could've. quote Sarah here, they didn't cast any Latin American actors yeah. in that's the movie. I mean, Eli point. Wallach. No, but they had Tuka. Italians, and that's about the I same. Know, right? <laughs> yeah, they, I mean, they weren't doing Native Americans any favors, that's but good. I mean, they, I at guess least they, didn't they weren't do murdering them on damage. screen. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So yeah. I guess I, yeah, I guess I can give you that. Thank yeah. you. <laughs> but yes, on to a few dollars more. For a few dollars more, yes. Yeah. Uh, the definitely the much darker second act. Now, this is keep in mind. This is not your traditional trilogy, right? These are not the same characters. It is a spiritual no. trilogy. Well, yeah, and that's one of those theories. Like, are they the same people? Are they not? Well, the Monko, Monko, no, they're, they're, not, they're, not, they're not. They're not. I, yeah, I would Mon- argue that they're not. But some people yeah. try to. And do... by the way, I want to say this because we didn't say this earlier. I need to set this as a precedent here. The man with no name is not actually what those characters are named. That was a marketing ploy by the American distributors. Oh, yeah. It was calling him the man with no name because in the first movie, they call him Joe. In the mm-hmm. second movie, his name is Manco. Mm-hmm. And in the third movie, his name is Blondie. So he actually does have a name, but mm-hmm. it's it, Joe Monko, it looks good obviously. on a poster. Yeah, it does look good. The it's man totally... with yeah. no name and, and the same poncho is back. Definitely yes. Hollywoodized. I mean, he does wear the exact same outfit in all yep. three movies. That shit never got washed. Well, it wasn't until like the last cut. ten minutes ago. But nevertheless. <laughs> nevertheless. Yeah, he kept that poncho through the whole fucking... Now, the yeah. actual reason for that was because he had to provide his own costume. Yeah. For mm. most no, of no, 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 no. He didn't really yes necessarily... No. He, bought, he bought the jeans in Beverly Hills, the mm-hmm. black jeans, which he wore in all three movies. He had the sheepskin vest. Mm-hmm. Like the only story I've heard about it is that he brought that sheepskin vest, and it was old when they when they brought it to the first film. Oh, and he brought the poncho. It, right? mm-hmm. The poncho and the hat were something that Leone and his production designer were just going through tons of fucking wardrobe stuff, and they they were just like they were treating. Clint with like a Ken doll. They just kept throwing <laughs> shit on him to see what worked. And they yeah. put that poncho and that hat on him, and they were like perfect. And then they were like, you know what we need. We need another mask. And oh. they put the cigar in his mouth. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was the, his mask. They put a cigar in his mouth, and uh, which is funny because Clint Eastwood doesn't smoke, and to this He's day, ha- a notorious the taste health of it. freak, and he had to start smoking for this fucking movies. Like, can you believe that? His character in the seven thousand of that exact same cigar that he apparently carried on him throughout the trilogy. Oh, apparently, yep. apparently, his grimace, his squint, was attributed to the sour taste of the cigar wrapper. Oh, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that shit tasted yeah. nasty. So now the plot. Let's in like two seconds. I mean, we can't really do it in two seconds, but quickly, let's go, Sean. Let's go over the plot of for a few dollars more. Okay. So wait, shit. How does that movie start? I'm trying to remember because I watched that. The train. Oh. It's the wide shot of the guy Mortimer on the horse, and, the and he just gets or... fucking shot. Yeah, 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 yeah. He gets. Oh, yeah, oh, right. oh um, Indio. Uh, El Diop. El Indio. El Indio. Yeah. El Indio. Okay. Yeah, who played so... by the same actor who played? Rojo, Ramon Rojo oh, from the first yes. film. My God, oh, he's, he's amazing. got such piercing eyes. Oh, that guy so good. is amazing as a bad guy. Yeah, so this dude is based, it's this beautiful long shot of this lone person on this horse just riding through, and you hear this beautiful whistling, right? Yep. This beautiful, like, melodic whistling and happening. And Neo Marconi signature whistling and mm-hmm. weird sound effects. So awesome. And then out of fucking nowhere, he just gets shot off his fucking horse, and then all shit goes to hell. <laughs> That's yep. the start of the fucking movie. It's not even like. Five minutes into it. Yeah. And Indio is a fucking bastard in this movie. Oh, God, God so rape, bad. murder, mm-hmm. sometimes at the same time. Yeah. Um, yeah. The guy's well, obviously insane as well. Yeah. Yes. She killed like, and yeah. the main crux of the of the story is that that there is a huge bounty on Indio, but you don't really see the bounty on Indio at first. You see um Lee Van Cleef and Lee then um, Cleef, Clint Eastwood. 
Clint Eastwood's characters are bounty hunters. You see them, they're yeah. bounty hunters, and they're collecting... A, they, you see them collecting other people yeah. first, yeah. and then they both are turning out to go after Indio because he's him and his gang are fetching such a huge bounty. That's right. Mm-hmm. Monko and Douglas Whoa. Mortimer. Yeah. Mortimer, by the way, badass. He's got like the gadget. It's a f- fucking revolver that's got the hilt of a rifle. It's so cool. I love it. how he puts it together. Lee Cleef reminds me of our grandfather, Brian. <laughs> really? A little bit. He reminds me of Papa a little, little bit. bit. Like oh, if you yeah. put a hat and a gun on Papa's hip, I'm like, he's ready to wreck shop just wow. like fucking Van Cleef. <laughs> I loved the introduction of Van Cleef's character because he was on the train, wasn't he? Right, yeah. And he was then, on the train yep. with his uh, with the Bible. Yeah, 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 yeah. You're like He's on the train with the Bible because he says he's a priest and he's dressed kinda like a priest. <laughs> he's got, and he's got then the he's like a priest and then he's like, Fuck everyone, I'm pulling the emergency switch because I don't want to tell Yolo. anybody. <laughs> yeah. yeah, because and then the, the conductor's like you could have just said, you know, that you wanted to get off here. We'll drop off anybody anywhere. But he's like giving him this look. And mm-hmm. you as the audience member know he's fucking do- pulling this because he doesn't want anybody to know that anybody's getting off at this stop because yeah. he's about to fucking kill some people. Well, he's actually not the priest. He's, the pro- he's known as the, as the prophet. Right. So he's known the, as prophet the prophet goes through town and he's collecting his bounties. Correct. And yep. you find out that Mortimer has uh, – Mortimer's also was – I may be confusing him with the character he plays in – the good, the bad, the ugly, but wasn't Mortimer also a, uh, a military man too? He had some, or in the past, he was at least. Um, he was a colonel, yeah. Right. He a was colonel. A colonel. Colonel. A colonel. He was a colonel. He was a colonel. What is happening? We haven't seen Colonel Angus in these parts for a long time. <laughs> it says that. <laughs> I love that SNL skit. It's so good. Uh, okay. Tangent aside. Um, yes, yes but he so did he was a colonel. History. Yeah. Um, and um, he, it says, I think the quote is like, the, he was the finest shot in the Carolinas, then he's reduced to being a bounty hunter, same as bounty you. Bounty killer. Right. Yeah. Yep. And, um, but in that sense, his motivation. Yeah. To get to um, El Indio is because his sister right, um, was, was, was raped murdered. and she, well, she committed uh, suicide, killed yeah. herself yeah. as he as yeah. Indio was raping her. And there's this intense uh, flashback moment toward the end of the movie mm-hmm. where Indio is actually remembering that moment, right? Well, the flashback yes. happens a couple of times, but yeah. when you actually see her kill herself yeah. isn't until well, the you forget end. That yeah, we also, really uh, he murders her lover first right. and then right. has her way with I, I feel like Mortimer her. doesn't care so much about the lover as he does about his sister. I no. hope so. <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah. But you, the reason I bring that is because you see that scene happen yes. a couple different times, and it paints the picture of just how yeah, amoral time, this character yeah, is. Each yeah. time you, you see know, a I got more. the I got the vibes about El Indio during those moments when he would have like you'd have that extreme uh, Leone close up, right? Where it says you see yeah. how piercing their he pretty, the color yeah, he of their pretty eyes much are. invented that shot too. He I, I got the ki- the sense of the character um, through the eyes in that sense that he's this kind of like sympathetic psychopath. You know, in the same vein as like Toe Cutter in Mad Max, where you just like, there's so mm. much character in this person that yeah. you see how much pain they're in at the same time of how much they don't feel and how much you they don't You know, which is care. crazy is that I see a lot of that in the new Daredevil series with uh, Fisk. Yeah! Uh, like, where yeah. They, where they make you care so much about this guy you're supposed to hate and right? you still kind of hate him, but you want to know what's happening with him and you feel for yeah. him in certain parts. So with, clearly, yeah. Leon E had a great way of making these. This villain, because right, mm-hmm. there's really the, the best villains are these villains who do atrocious, terrible things, yeah. mm-hmm. but yet you can see there's some twisted justification for it, mm-hmm. and you want to feel sympathy for the character. Yeah, because... it's the humanity. That's one of the great right. things that Sergio Leone does to all of his characters is he gives them humanity. 
with very little dialogue, which has got to be really tough to do, which makes him such an amazing artist. Right. Yeah, yeah. And coming back again to those shades of gray, like none of his characters are just yep. flat, good, flat, mm-hmm. evil. They're all like... Yeah. They're, they're, Only they're mostly onions. good they're like mostly onions. evil. Yeah. <laughs> I think luckily in, uh, for a few dollars more, the characters were much more fleshed out than they were in Fistful. And I think that's yes. one kind of distinction you notice. And even the colors were more rich. You know, in, sure. in yes, a few were. dollars more. Um, and in that sense, uh, I, I kind of want to bring up a little bit of a, a, a thing that I personally was really kind of wanting to look for. And that Do was it. the inclusion of female characters. Mm. Um, I mean, I don't or have to be a of. woman to want to notice that the women featured, especially in kind of going back to uh, A Fistful, uh, the two female characters that were primary um, parts of the film. Which you're talking about, uh, what's her name? Consuelo, who's the older one. But then Marisol. The Marisol. Love, yeah, Marisol. Who so, gets punched in the fucking face. She yeah, got, she does. Yeah, so she, she definitely got some. Um, I thought that those two women's moments, the characters for them in the, in the first film, were pretty well done. I thought that they, they definitely, you saw their motivations, you saw kind of a through line for them, especially that really dynamic moment in the first film where uh, Marisol is being traded Right, and you right, see her yeah. riding down the street on the horse, and seeing her son. Oh my God, little Jesus! This like oh. horribly dubbed crying. <laughs> right, right. Oh my still, God. still tugged at my heartstrings really, so really bad. hard though. And then you see um, Cons- uh, Consuelo's kind of uh, conflict, where she is kind of the leader leader of her household, right, and she's trying to keep her family together, and it just kind of falls apart, and right. trying to have to work with Joe and try to get you know him to do what you know the rojos want to do and that whole conflict with them and the baxters and whatnot so in the second film the only woman we really see in this movie is is the sister yeah and how she's portrayed and she doesn't have any lines she doesn't have any moments except for getting shot and getting raped and getting used and becoming the sort of motivator um, this plot device, I guess, right. is the way to put it, right? Yeah. And then there's, like, no woman at all in Good, Bad, and the Ugly. <laughs> Unfortunately, uh, that also speaks a lot to the time period. Yeah. Like, we're talking about women women and their opinions and their lives uh, were not thought of as, as valuable, anywhere near as valuable as men's back in the time. And I'm not sure if Sergio Leone wa- was trying to do that on purpose, mm. but I also think that it's it's accurate for the time, though it is unfortunate seeing it now. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, I agree with that. So that was just my kind of aside for that. I don't know what, why that kind of came up for me No, right it's good. Now, we need but... the female perspective. There's a lot of dicks over here. Uh, yeah. No, it's funny. Yeah, it is. <laughs> I'm drowning in testosterone over here, guys. <laughs> but unless we have any more final thoughts about for a few dollars more, can we? I have one, Sean. Yeah. One of the best scenes in all three of these movies, I think, is when the Colonel and Manco actually first meet, mm. and they have that gun battle in the middle it's of the amazing. town at night. Yes, it's oh my so God. amazing. Where like yeah. he shoots at him, and then Van Cleef is just like shoots <laughs> like, or he keeps shooting Van Cleef's gun away from him as he tries to grab it, and he's all calmly just walking for it. Oh. And then he throw, then he the, he shoots the dude's hat off. He <laughs> shoots Clint Eastwood's hat off, and then just keeps shooting it in the air. And the way it's filmed, where it just keeps going left and right. <laughs> and then Clint Eastwood's looking at him like, "Oh, you are a better shot than me." So. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm really glad you mentioned that because I was thinking about that the whole time that we were on a fistful of dollars, and I'm just like, "Oh, I want to say this it's, about it's, it's, it's one of the best it scenes." Is, in the yeah, that is my film. favorite scene in that movie. Yeah, just, yeah. It's says so much about those two characters yeah. without any about dialogue it says everything yeah exactly 
exactly not a single word has to be spoken between the two but they establish such a strong rapport with one another absolutely and, and leads... they really they they gain respect for each other like especially clint eastwood uh when uh mortimer's blasting his hat 19 times before <laughs> yeah. it hits the ground he's just like oh well okay which is an awesome <laughs> follow-through with good bad and the ugly and how that ends between the two mm. of them. thank you for bringing that up what a segue right what a segue because Brian, yeah what a scooter that, that was our segue yeah. Yeah. for you sarah so i hope you guys stretched because we're now going long and we're going hard oh it's oh. all right i've been doing kegels all day yep. i'm pitching yep yep it, dibs <laughs> and sean douche Cable. um Cables. so um <laughs> if you want to do if you want to talk about a masterpiece Oh, yeah. A oh, masterpiece God. of cinematography, of editing, of <laughs> writing. Maybe maybe minus the Civil War tangent. Um, I, I see the table tilting. I think Brian... score. Are you getting a chub right now? Are you getting a little, getting a little excited talking it is about this? I am. We oh have... You cannot ignore the good, the bad, and the ugly. It is one oh, of the most yeah. iconic spaghetti the westerns. The most. The most iconic yeah, spaghetti we, western. Without, uh, one of the most iconic uh, uh, films I'd say most iconic Western, period. Yes. Mm. This movie, from the beginning, from the first fucking shot, you are tied in. Mm -hmm. I mean, amazing cinematography. Stuff that you don't see in mainstream cinema for at least another 15, 20 years. Mm -hmm. Right? Yep. That solid story, great acting. Fantastic score. Thank you. The score score made the movie. uh, The entire, for a three hour fucking movie, this score is a prelude to Ecstasy of Gold. One of, the, you, one of the greatest songs in yeah. all of film. Best, Absolutely. Best score. Don't you love how in all of the three of the movies, they always have that the opening sequence where they show all the credits, right? Right. Of all three of the movies, this was by far the best had version the of the best that. opening credits. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> totally did. Because of the opening of the score. Yeah. And, and speaking wow, of the score, intro. this score is so iconic that anytime any stand-up comedian, person in a sitcom, anytime anybody is trying to set a scene for what they want to do as like something that's cowboy or gunslinging, yeah. they always go... And everybody goes is just yeah. Westerns. Been, yeah. I can't stop doing that today. God damn it! And right. it basically inspired Tarantino's career. By the Absolutely. way, Absolutely. <laughs> like, yeah. But what I love <laughs> is that Morricone. Because now we're gonna go. We're gonna just we're going balls deep. Stroke Morricone's yes. musical yeah. cock all over my just, face. Just, 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 just um, cradle the I'm balls. I'm sure you would love to hear it articulate. You know. Work like the shaft yeah. and the swallow shaft. the gravy. Yep. And Sock his dick right forward. off. Um, so. <laughs> Get that dick an out of body experience, y'all. I love it. <laughs> one, of the, one, of the, one of the pieces he uses a callback throughout the it is uh-huh. when Tuco is searching because right the overall intention is right. He's looking for this giant Stash cache of, of gold, bounty. Of Confederate gold, right? Mm-hmm. So he's looking through it, and every time there's this sense of searching and panic. It's the and finally when he gets to the graveyard, it takes that. And it just builds and fucking builds and fucking builds. Builds, builds. And builds. And it builds. What did you guys think of how they were all introduced towards the beginning? Where they would have the freeze frame and then and the, the, good, the, the, the It the was title. very sixties. It was very totally, yeah, right? very very sixties. And then, they, and then yeah. that's how they wrap it up at the end again as well. It was yeah. very like yep. oh, it's like a sandwich. <laughs> so good. It's like it's, it's like, like a, a really good western sandwich with barbecue sauce. It was like sauce a pastrami sandwich. <laughs> they put like three lots pounds of, blood. of pastrami. The only one with like a really noticeable amount of blood too. I mean, yeah, yeah. They was... they didn't have the money. I don't think for the blood in the first. 
Well, yeah, before the invention of squibs, obviously. Squibs, right. I, don't quote mm-hmm. me on that. It's probably bullshit. I, you know, I think it's interesting that Good, Bad, and the Ugly really wasn't hyper-focused on Clint Eastwood's character. Yeah, and it fact, was no. really a story about Tuco. Yeah, yeah in was. fact, actually, that yeah. was um, Clint yeah, Eastwood was a little time. upset when they were making that movie. Oh, yeah, he did because not want to be Because when he first upstaged. read the script, he thought he was being upstaged by uh, Eli Wallach. Oh, yeah. I mean, and technically, he kind of was. He Let's pretty talk about much performance was, quality. Like, I love, yeah. I think more of Eli Wallach and his, because he has all the best lines. Mm-hmm. I mean, because Clint Eastwood's good yeah. at being this stoic character, which is iconic, but you, I think that the audience, for the most part, most people, because deep down we kind of have this, like, we want to get over on people, hands rubbing together, like, we can we can figure out a way to get for ourselves, kind of, everybody kind of identifies with that more than the stoic Kind of Clint Eastwood character. What's the quote that he says? Uh, that you, when you first see Tuco, he goes, uh, "If you work for a living, why do you kill yourself working? If right. you work for yep. a living, why do you kill yourself working?" Uh, and you saw how like yeah. beautiful, or not beautiful, but just like imaginative Tuco's character really was. He was a very charismatic person. Absolutely, yeah. Quick More side so note, than we're going to be Eastwood. having a raffle at the end of the episode for how many times we use the word iconic. I love it. If you can guess it correctly, we will send you a cupcake. <laughs> uh, uh, and if uh, first person sailed, to say it, iconoclast. Gets a Ferrari. <laughs> uh, that's probably Brian. <laughs> no. <laughs> Speaking of Ferraris, fucking Clint Eastwood demanded a Ferrari in, in addition to his uh, his payment for Good, the Bad, and the Ugly. Yeah, didn't he get one for oh, a fistful one. of he dollars? Got for, he got, no, he got one for the second movie and for oh. the third movie. Yeah, wow. yeah, yeah, yeah. That was like a part of his payment plan. But once again, for the second movie, let's go back to this. <laughs> for the second movie, Leone tried to get... Charles Bronson and fucking Henry Fonda again, but Charles Bronson said that it, Charles Bronson said for the good, the bad, and the ugly, and for the second movie that the script was bullshit. Well, ah, you and, know uh, what? I, then he went on to do five horrible Death Wish movies. So exactly. kiss my ass, Charles Bronson. You know, okay, so if, the, if Fistful is about a solo, a solo man's you know journey through wrong place, wrong time situation, and few dollars more is about un, you know unlikely partnership. Then we have Good, Bad, and the Ugly being about a really fucked up threesome. And they express their kind of... Don't you love it how guns and a lot of old-timey movies are really phallic symbols? I mean, there was a lot of gunplay in, oh, yeah. in Good, Bad, and the Ugly. A lot of, there was a ton of gunplay. You know, dick shows. Like, yeah. who wanted to be the more masculine? I think what I'm kind of referring to also, um, the whole desert travel scene. Yeah. We have Tuco and uh, Blondie going through the desert, and Tuco is torturing Dragged Blondie. on forever, but it was still oh, yeah. a really good scene. Beautifully filmed, by Great the way. Great makeup, by the way, so, in that scene. Oh, my God. Phenomenal makeup. Yeah. Yeah. Fuck up. Actually, that wasn't makeup at all. <laughs> they actually right. drug... Yeah. Clint Eastwood through the desert for like three days. <laughs> Super inhumane. They Which is raked why he him has over. that blank stare to this day and he talks to chairs where no one's sitting. <laughs> they, they, He's they, perpetually they fucked him up like irreparably. It was pretty bad. <laughs> he was a changed man. Do you know how many yeah. people he shot in the face when he was the mayor of Carmel? Oh, God. Is it more than two? Is it more five. Than... Oh, well. He shot so that's five more than two, people. So the answer is yes. Just like the old movies, we're not counting the women and the children that he shot because they're not real people. Apparently not. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, I was thank about God to say Sarah's something not that here because was... Sarah would yeah. rage. She would. That she would throw that. her down. That was then said in <sighs> jest for fuck's sake, Sarah. You know, what? Sarah, I... if you click the feedback button on our website, you can send your hate mail. <laughs> she actually just texted us saying she misses us, and I think she's probably gonna regret that. Well, I hope you're happy, Sean. You I know, hope you were satisfied. I retract my statement about there being no women featured in the Good, Bad, and the Ugly because there was. There's this really intense scene where you have um, Angel Eyes roughing up. 
I don't know who she is or where she's from, but he basically slaps the shit out of her to get some answers out of her about where some character is. Right. And uh, she, you know, she um, she gives in. But I thought that was like, you know how I they always like to, say they don't I, let, you know, you know a character is bad if they abuse a woman, right? I would like to argue that this is one of the Unless first times that we see true gender equality in films. Because he would have done the same shit to a dude if he was trying to get the information out of a dude. He was treating a woman just like he would have treated a dude to get the information out of her. Yeah. Gender equality. I Okay, that's fine. You can argue that. But at the same time, it's a Hollywood trope. <laughs> You're really going to swallow not that even, pill? That was me just I'm, being an asshole. I'm being <laughs> passive right now because you're, you're, like, you're ignoring my point. Yeah. You're not, oh, not wrong, wrong, but it's hilarious. hilarious. You're not wrong. more equal if she fucked him up a if little bit, too. If she fucked him up, exactly. If bit. she Charlize theron his ass. Well, yeah, but then she kicks the shit out of the bad guy five minutes into the movie, and you're just right. like, okay, well, All bets are he's off. a bitch. But it just follows that Hollywood trope that if yeah. a male character abuses a woman, he's automatically inherently evil. Right. You know. So do you want to see the good guy slap a woman around? That's what I'm yeah, getting from what you're saying. Again, why um, no, I was I just noticing how women in this film... You want to watch more Connery movies. Again, they cut that scene out of The Rebel Without a Cause where James Dean says, you're tearing me apart, and then he just starts fucking punching Natalie Wood in the face <laughs> Back like the fucking Hulkbuster hits the Hulk. Just going, go, um, to sleep, go to sleep, go to sleep, go to sleep, go to sleep. She's not in that scene. I just want to remember Akbar, remind you bitch. Of that. Um, anyway, I don't know. That was just kind of going along with my whole feeling about how women are you know plot devices yeah. and objects true again yeah. looking back at the time period i mean look looking Pretty back much. on it from the 21st century we go well that's not fucking right yeah. but at, at the time they were just like oh well, yeah, yeah i'm not sure if the feminist movement acceptable. had made its way to italy at that point yeah. it was getting damn close it was getting damn close yeah huh. um about, <clears> you know, Jane so Fonda. let's uh, let's wrap up talking about the good the bad and the ugly by talking about the best scene in the movie oh, which goes shit. on forever and I'm totally fine with it because it builds so much tension uh, the Mexican standoff who did Mexican you guys think standoff. was going to shoot first Greedo Eastwood Eastwood right Han shot first Han shot first <laughs> oh shit Brian I didn't even missed it oh my god internet video <laughs> you put internet Han, video, you Greedo see. and Chewy <laughs> As the good, the bad, and the furry. Oh, I was just—I was just thinking. You, I was just thinking. It shows uh, freaking Clint Eastwood. Then it shows uh, Wallach. Then it shows um, fucking Angel Eyes. Uh, Angel Eyes. Oh my God, what's his face? And then it just like keeps going between the three. And then like it just splices Han Solo in there somewhere. <laughs> and it's like it shows Han Solo, Han Solo shooting, and Angel Eyes just. Go, oh my God. I'm yeah. Exactly. And then the cantina singers are playing it off. <laughs> 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 and then cut to credits. Oh, man. Lee Van Cleef walks up and he's like, he doesn't like you. I don't like you either. And I'm like, yeah. uh, I would have said Van Cleef would have shot first. You think so? Before seeing the scene. It was hard to tell because they did that brilliant moment where each of them, you saw them kind of jump a little bit. Right. And you're thinking, oh shit, Tuco's going to go, oh no, Angel Eyes. Oh, fuck. Right. I was shocked when Angel Eyes went down first. I was genuinely shocked. Yeah, yeah. I, time, I expected there to be like a Reservoir Dogs style situation because I, <laughs> I was a Tarantino fan yeah. before I saw these movies. And I was like, oh, this is obviously where Tarantino got it. They're all going to shoot each other they're and all gonna die. die. Yeah, they're all and gonna then gonna I was down. like, oh, wait, no, there are so many fucking layers. Like, oh, I forgot that fucking Blondie took out all the bullets out of Tuco's gun so he doesn't get to shoot anybody. Mm. <laughs> Which is great. He totally... Yeah. It, it Angel Eyes of... draws first but yeah. is too slow and Eastwood actually gets a shot off first. Which is perfect because going back to a few dollars more, it's like 
the two of them, you know, even though they were, you you hear the moment where Angel Eyes says, or in who, who is uh, his character, Mortimer, uh, yeah, Mortimer, Mortimer yeah. and Fisty, that he's a better shot than him. You yeah. know, we were just talking about that moment where he shoots the hat up, and you're like, oh shit, okay, I concede. And then to have it end in this sense, you have to have Clint Eastwood's character walk off into the scene alone. He has to survive it. Yep, him sure. and Tuco, their relationship is too strong, and it's been such yes. a major. You know, plot device. And their whole relationship yes. is tied together from the beginning of the movie where you see how they're faking like him being turned in for bounties. And he leaves him the same way that we started with him, mm-hmm. where he leaves him hanging by his neck on the horse and then gets far enough away that he can't chase him and shoots the fucking oh, rope. That makes me think of Eli right. Wallach when there was a story about him when the first time that he got on the horse and they were hanging him. And it's oh, the yeah. scene when Clint Eastwood shoots the, the noose, right? And the noose breaks. Apparently that horse that he was on um, spooked way too quickly and yep. just took off running. So that shot of the horse taking yeah. off with Eli Wallach was the one take. Yeah. And apparently that horse ran so far and so fast that Eli the Wallach... The horse ran a mile. He had to hold on to the horse with his fucking knees. His knees. His yeah. hands were tied yeah. behind his back. That's and this touches on Sergio Leone is notorious for not giving a shit about the safety oh of his God. actors at being safety last. Because, I mean, yep. that when they blew up the bridge, mm-hmm. there was a big miscommunication and they blew up the bridge too early, which hurt some actors and also destroyed all three cameras on it. And they had to rebuild the bridge yeah. and redo that whole scene, which made it really expensive. And they nearly killed Wallach in one of the railroad scenes. But they got a yep. great shot. Oh, yeah. They mm-hmm. and the <laughs> Just like in The Crow. They got a great <laughs> shot, and they want to use it anyway, oh, even though Brandon oh. Lee died in a hail of gunfire. R. That R. got R. dark. R. You know, and, and the verisimilitude is just stunning. I love how you wanted to Brian, use that word. Brian, you fucking piece of shit. <laughs> <laughs> Brian, Mr., Mr., I have one vocab word per season of podcasts. <laughs> oh, no, I agree. The Versace Melitude. Next season on NOF. <laughs> Clandestine. <laughs> okay, Sean. Um, what, was, what was the first word you used, Brian, at the beginning of the episode? You said something. Oh, some sacrosanct. W- sacrosanct. So the sacrosanct for misalitude. Sacrosanct for misalitude should be the name of the episode. Yes, the sacrosanct for misalitude of spaghetti western. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Great. Someone's gonna be like, "Hey, is the architect from the Matrix movies making their titles now?" I want somebody to email us in and just like go off for like a page and a half and just like, uh, I really like the episode, but <laughs> Brian totally misused both of these words. <laughs> and none of us are going to call him yeah, on it. None of, no. Yeah, none of us fucked up any of our words. We all My use thing the is, words yeah. cock and vagina in yeah. the proper it's because vernacular. because you guys all use small words. It's okay. Oh, are you <laughs> calling us? So look me in the eye and say that. People, eh? Look me in the eye and say that. That's racist. <laughs> what? You're welcome, America. Start talking All right, <laughs> let's, to All right let's try to wrap this up. Yeah. Uh, All right, so hmm. I want to try to wrap this up by just uh, saying how amazed I am by Sergio Leone as a filmmaker, although... People will say as a human being he was flawed, but aren't we all? Mm-hmm. And he has, I mean, he has fucking just made such a huge impact. Going further from this movie, well, people would say his magnum opus is actually Once Upon a Time in the West, which mm-hmm. he actually got the actors he wanted and had the budget and was filming in the American Southwest like he always wanted to. Nice. And then he went on to make Once Upon a Time in America, which is a Jewish gangster movie, which is absolutely amazing. You guys got to check that out. And uh, one of the things about his characters in these westerns, I talked about it before, where he added a little bit of this Roman 
kind of cynicism and this Roman ego to a lot of these mean? characters. What do you mean by Roman? Not isn't like the Roman Empire. It was like the characters like from his sword and sandal movies and from Roman literature. Uh, yeah. like, like the those kind of archetypes. Like Greek then, tragedy stuff? Well, a little bit. And that's what I want to get to this this quote. It's one of the best quotes I ever heard from Sergio Leone. This is from an interview that he had in 1977 where he was talking about his films. And when, when I heard him say this, it made me have this huge realization about how, A, you can't really remake characters. There's always going to be these archetypes. And his quote is, the greatest scriptwriter of Westerns was Homer. The archetypes of yesterday's cowboys were Achilles, Ajax, Agamemnon, and Hector. My idea was to bring back the Italian Commedia dell'arte. So that just sums up all of these movies in a nutshell and shows where he was coming from and shows how timeless they really are so that's a fantastic quote i that yeah yeah. so those greek writers should have sued him for copyright infringement (laughs) forget yo jimbo so old (laughs) forget akira kurosawa (laughs) i think that if anybody's missing sergio leone and wants to try to talk to him i think that they should just talk to quentin tarantino because i'm pretty sure sergio leone's ghost went inside of him and oh, yeah. pulled all the strings while he made django unchained because it's just a hyper violent heavier dialogue version of his spaghetti western well, yeah. down to the point where he's like i'm just gonna take all the Ennio marconi songs i love and put them straight into this yeah. movie well i'm sure you've seen django yeah. Yes, that's what he's talking the about. Oh yes, Django, yeah. Oh. Well, he said Django and Chain. Yeah, the original Django. Yeah, the original Django. Yeah, the original Django yes, where the but, Cowboys and, got a freaking but was, machine. Was gun. it a Leone movie? It was not a Leone movie. Uh, I don't no. think no. No, um, no, it wasn't. But no, it was a. It was oh, during. Jesus it was one of. It was. Christ it was a spaghetti bike. western. What was the guy's name? Yeah, it was uh, a spaghetti honestly, western. They just, it really was. He, Quentin Tarantino liked the name Django and liked that song from that movie so much that he had to use that Django. name. Django. Django. <laughs> yeah, well, that was bloody as hell. Black <laughs> as night. In that sense, Django. though, Tarantino Sorry. definitely inherent, inherited Leone's quirky features and uh, eccentricities in a way although tarantino is heavily heavy on the dialogue yeah and sergio leone basically made silent films where he like every single little sound and every piece of dialogue was very deliberate and there was nothing that was chaff mm. oh the director of django uh, was from 1966 sergio corbucci there we go nicely done guys well done cool well that's awesome, Sean. I definitely appreciate you putting that in there. It puts kind of a nice bow on our discussion. Shall we move on to discussions about feedback and... Yes, listener feedback. Listener feedback. Yeah. Do you want to read one from Jazz? Um, I do, but I also want to read one from Billy. Okay. Um, our friends over at Girls with Issues podcast. Uh, she gave me some, me personally, some feedback about okay. our our podcast on um, the Avengers, the new Avengers movie. Okay. So we're talking about Age of Ultron. When I was talking about it, I originally mentioned something about. Uh, uh, I was talking about Captain America, and mm-hmm. I mentioned Winter Soldier, and I accidentally said the name of uh, Bucky Rogers. Oh right, right. It was <laughs> Instead Bucky Barnes, of Bucky right. Barnes, right? And Homegirl, she hit me up on Twitter, and she was saying, catching up on Nerdonomy, hashtag NOF, hashtag AOU, um, Age of Ultron. Um, at me, it's Bucky Barnes, not Rogers, but I'll let it pass because you're a Spider fan like me. And I replied with a gratuitous thank you note because yeah. Dude, how could I miss that? I I created some sort of like bastardized version. No, of to be Steve fair, Rogers you were thinking and Bucky about Buck Rogers in the 25th century or some <laughs> shit like that. That too, yeah. I mean, 
I mean, words are happening, right? Like, <laughs> I can definitely... So I appreciate the correction. Um, but yeah, good catch. So that's Thanks, good. Billy. And uh, I believe Gina made of... <gasps> damn, uh, Gina! Yeah, damn, Gina! This is from a, about a month ago. Uh, listening to the Star Wars episode and just wanted to uh, let Sarah know that I totally share her love of Return of the Jedi as a personal fave of the trilogy. Thank you, Gina. Good to hear from mm. you. She wants to be on the show soon, and we want her back. Absolutely. So we'll make well, it happen. now that she wants to be on the show, she yes. doesn't get to be on the show. And since there was a lack of women well. in the films we talked about, we have entirely feedback from our female listeners. Yes! So, um, <laughs> for this episode. So, um, Jass is a girl, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> you guys, it's a miracle! Yeah, subject, Jass, I am a girl. Bonjour again. <laughs> Uh, I hate to disappoint Roxy, but I am, in fact, a gorgeous French-Canadian girl. Honey, honey, that ain't stop me. Uh, First of all, send us a picture. We'll be the judge of that. (laughs) Secondly, all right. You guys, Uh, I was almost named after a French-Canadian lesbian co-worker of my mom. So I'm all about the French-Canadian ladies, y'all. Like... I love it. Are you not a French-Canadian lesbian? I, thought, I wish. According to I the email. Sure. It's my alter ego, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> according to the email, uh, Jass is short for uh, Jacinthe, which is um, so the French version of Hyacinth, the flower. Hyacinth, yeah. Uh, let's say my parents didn't think of the bilingual aspect when they named me, uh, hence the use of Jass as a nickname. Uh, and she also can't wait for our Spaghetti Western episode. Well, surprise. Sweet. Oh. Sweet. So... You're uh, welcome. I'm honored to be a part of this. Else. Yeah. With love from Montreal, Jess. <laughs> Poor Hillary when she's just sent, first of all, Roxy, I love you and I missed you. <laughs> and that's all it was in her body of her message. I don't think she realized that the rest of her message got, like, not included. Oh, yeah. So, Hillary, if you had an original feedback, feel free to resend it. Even though I appreciate the love, we want to hear what else you have to say about yeah! Age of Ultron. Hillary 2016. Yeah, girl. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, folks... Keep continuing with the feedback. If you want to give us feedback, you can hit us up on our multiple social media options by Googling Nerdonomy, and I guarantee you're going to find us. Um, you can also uh, go to our website, nerdonomy.com, and click on the Talk to Us button. And uh, you know what you can also do when you go there? You can give us some money but it's with a donation. You can support us through our affiliates, through Audible Give or us Amazon. some money, all that you can. Money, money, money. Yeah, you can also <laughs> buy a T-shirt. Those are kind of cool. Get your T-shirts. Um, yeah, but more Get importantly. Get your T-shirts, yeah. Get your dildos here, Sean Moriarty's Dildo Emporium, any size. Do you like small ones? You can get small dildos. Big dildos, medium size dildos. We're just going to leave it at small dildos. You can get small dildos. That's it. That's all we have for today, guys. Just small dildos. dildos. Everybody did those pneumatic dildos. And those one with the crank for when you go camping, eh? Yeah. Eh? Hey, you fucking Canadian. Hey. That's that that that's just gonna give you some carpal tunnel there. Yeah. Uh, anyway, well. more importantly, guys, spread the word of nerd. Tell your friends about our awesome podcasts. We have over 120 episodes of each oh, podcast: yeah. Nerds on History, Nerds on Film. Backlog that's over 240 available. hours uh. of sheer joy. <laughs> <laughs> sheer joy, folks. Our full backlog is now available on iTunes on Stitcher, on all the outlets that we are available through. So please Get check out. Get your backlogs. Exactly. Uh, it's that time, nerds. So until we meet again, stay nerdy and tune into our next exciting episode. Same nerd time, same nerd channel, nerdonomy.com. Bye. Ah! <laughs> <laughs>
is that Ennio Morricone and Sergio Leone, when they were coming up for that soundtrack, specifically that I, I, I part and a lot of that stuff, they were actually, think they wrote that while thinking about the last scene of the movie, and those sounds are actually all of the souls of the dead soldiers laughing at them. Wow, oh. that is fucked up. <laughs> all right, well, that's 10 seconds. Did you get to splice somewhere in there wherever is convenient? Because yeah. that needs to be in there. That's yeah. important, <laughs> Record scratch. And now, a piece that we've totally forgot to mention. <laughs> also, splice in some sort of soundbite about everybody marveling over my penis. Yeah! Ooh. Size, color, shape. Oh, God. It's, it's so big. <laughs> it's, it's glorious. <laughs> wait, wait. Shall he do it? It's Don Adams. Don, not Don Knotts. Don Knotts. Don Knotts? Don Knotts. Okay, hold on. <laughs> <laughs> let, me, let me get my palate warmed up here. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's the biggest cock I've ever seen. <laughs> Look at it. Oh, wow. <laughs> well, that made my night. And roll credits. And now, famous movie quotes you should not say during sex. There are two kinds of people in the world, my friend. Those with a rope around the neck and the people who have the job of doing the cutting. <laughs> <laughs>